I'm John Pittman. I'm the director of music and programming at All Classical Portland here in Portland, Oregon. And it's my great pleasure to welcome pianist Jean-Yves Thibaudet talking about his latest recording, Carte Blanche. Welcome, Jean-Yves. Thank you, John. Pleasure to be here. This is your first recording, I understand, at least for DECA in at least a decade. Is that correct? That's correct, absolutely. Yeah, we've done about 40 or 50, whatever number of recordings. And then this is a, a new, um, you know, we're just starting a new series of recordings together. In the old days, I remember we were doing sometimes two, sometimes even three albums a year. It was just completely different. And then the time chain, and there were less albums and this and all. It's complicated, but you're right. The average is not too bad. <laughs> well, this is anything but an average CD you've recorded here. Recorded in these unusual times, as we've tended to call them. Yeah. So... I'd love it if you could give our listeners just a basic uh, background to carte blanche. What led to it? Uh, first of all, and I'd almost forgotten to say happy birthday, Jean-Yves. <laughs> Thank you very much. Because that really was the initial impetus that led to this recording, isn't it? It, it is, yes. Yeah. It's, it's a recording that's celebrating lots of things, celebrating this special birthday, celebrating this new <clears throat> new you know, recordings uh, we're going to do with Deca. Uh, and, and also, I think, just celebrating life and celebrating love and celebrating so many things that with this pandemic we've been all reflecting on. And we had all this time to reflect on, which is very unusual, and certainly in my life. I'm usually jumping from one play to another one, from one concert hall to another airport, another hotel. So it's always, and it's been like that for so many years. This is the first time I had such a long period with no concert, just being at home and me and my piano and having all this time together. Uh, and it was, it was amazing. I mean, it was very hard that's, uh, on the way. And at the same time, it gave me a lot of different opportunities. Now, this album is something that I've been wanting to do for many, many years, maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Uh, it was, in my head, kind of an encore album. I said, oh, it would be fun to do an album with all the encore that I play because people always love them. They always tell me, oh, what did you play as an encore? Oh, yeah, did you record that? And I said, no, I haven't. So I would think, oh, it'd be fun to do an encore album. And that was in, stuck in my head, and I offered it quite a few times, and it just, we never really got to do it. Uh, I had a list that kept growing, a long list of pieces that would be in that album. Uh, and at that moment, the challenge was really to actually choose what would make it in this album because I, if anything I have too much material way too much material so that was very interesting um, also the title I think gives exactly uh, what it is which means Deca gave me complete carte blanche they said you can record whatever you want it's completely your choice the only rule that we cannot break is that it has to be all new recordings it cannot have any piece that you've already recorded in the past so that was clear then from there, I could do whatever I wanted. So I went back to my list of pieces, and I had all this time to go through and decided what I wanted, what was more important, what I felt like. Uh, and it's got all kind of pieces. I think it shows a lot of, if anything, I think it shows really me as a person, like a very curious person. It shows all the variety of the repertoire from jazz to, of course, very classical, like Couperin, then soundtracks that have done so many soundtracks in my life, and the, the Pride and Prejudice one. Uh, and then a lot of pieces are a tribute to a person, another artist, or people that were important in my life, or it reminds me of a time in my life. So you have a very 
personal and very intimate album, something that shows me in a way that maybe people don't know me always. So I thought that was very, very interesting, very special. And then I, I have a lot of pieces here that are brand new that I've actually learned during the pandemic because I wanted to learn them. Some brand new arrangement, world premiere arrangement that I've made because I had all this time and I wanted to arrange certain piece that didn't exist for the piano. And I said, okay, let's see if we can make that happen. Uh, so between all of that, tributes to friends, and it's, so it's a very special album. It was very special and fun for me. I did I had so much fun doing it, really, honestly. I'll bet there's a specific story you could share with all the pieces on the album. We probably don't have time for all of them. <laughs> I'd like to just kind of throw a dart at the dartboard of one of them. Sure. I'm really curious about... A composer that I know, but maybe is not well known to many people, that's Gabriel Piernay. Yes. The Etude Concert. What led you to that particular piece? Well, that's a piece that I used to play a lot as an encore many, many years ago. I was a young pianist. I loved it because it was going so fast. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a great encore. I mean, people just jump to their feet and make them scream because it just it's just basically a show-off piece. I mean, it's all about see how fast you can play. So I have to say, with times over in my life, I'm a little bit less interested now in pieces like that that just show off how fast you can play and how many octaves you can put in three bars. But I have to say that it still is a fascinating piece and I was happy to bring it back and I think also to shed a light on it because, as you said, people are not very familiar to Pierre to start with and to this particular Etude de Concert, which I think is a remarkable piece. I mean, it's really what we would call a piece de virtuosité, a virtuosity piece, a wizard kind of a very beautifully written, very pianistic, I have to say, still very difficult, but very beautifully written for the piano. And I'm very fond of it, and it was fun to bring it back, and I think now after, I don't know, 20 years or whatever, not playing it, I think now I'm going to play it as an encore uh, again for many years, and I think will be the same with a lot of the pieces in this album. I'm happy to bring some new, some, some of those back, and, and then all the new ones now, they're going to be part of my life. With the Elgar Salut d'Amour, and I want to share with our audiences again that some of these pieces were written for solo piano, some of the others for instruments. I learned that the Elgar has a special attachment for you to one of your important teachers. Yes, absolutely. The Elgar is a tribute to Aldo Ciccolini, who was my mentor and one of my most important teachers, as you said, at <clears throat> the conservatory first, and then he remained until... He left us, he remained. I mean, I was going to see him all the time, play for him new pieces, ask him his advice. His, uh, it was just such an incredible person. Uh, and that's a piece, the Elgar, that he transcribed himself. It's a famous piece for violin and piano. And he just played this piano arrangement that he did himself. And I was so fond of it. And it really <clears throat> touches my heart. Just every time I play it, I just think of him. And now that he's not around, I think it's it's nice that we can still play this and he's still with us a little bit through this piece. And it's a gorgeous arrangement. I think all the inner voices, all the, the harmonies. And he plays it in a rather slower tempo compared, I think, to the violin um, version that we used to. But it just becomes it's just a different piece. It's, it becomes a piano piece. And the theme is absolutely stunning. And it's a very special piece. So that's a tribute to him. This together with the Schubert 
Strauss' little Val de Kuppelwiese, which is another of his favorite encore that I learned from him. It's another one I love to play. <clears throat> so those two are really a tribute to Aldo. Some of these are pieces that you haven't played before. Give me an example of that. Oh, yes. Okay, let me see. I'm looking at my list right now. Well, this Carlotti Sonata, for some reason, that's not a, one of them that I've played longer in my life. I have so many others that I've played. But this one is kind of a new one, but I fell in love with, with that piece. A friend of mine told me about it, and I said, oh, yeah, that's right. No, this is 466, the F minor. And I started playing it, and during the pandemic, it became like my new friend. And I was playing almost every morning. I would start, I would play that sonata. It would give me so much pleasure. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous sonata. And I, I wanted to have a scholarly sonata, and I said, let's put this one there. It's the one that I want, want to be there. The Barbara Adagio is a brand new, that's not only new for me, but I actually made the transcription for the album. It's an arrangement of the string quartet, which was a crazy a challenge because we don't have bows. We cannot sustain a note of the piano. So it was, it was not easy, but I really wanted to do it. And I think it's a mesmerizing piece. And I think in that, these times of reflective reflection that we had with the pandemic, I think, again, this kind of music is something that really elevates you to a spiritual level. It's, it's an amazing piece. And obviously it had to end the album because after that, there's nothing really I can think you can play after that. You just have to turn the page and, and do something else. Uh, then the Marianelli, Pride and Prejudice. Uh, this, this is a suite that Dario wrote specifically for this album. It's the world premiere. He just took, five, I think it was five of them, of the most <clears throat> memorable moments maybe from the movies. And from the movie, and he just made this suite for solo piano, which I think proves that a soundtrack, if it's beautiful music, doesn't need the the movie to survive it can have its own life and i think this piece really will now will play it again now that he gave it to me uh and i think that's about for new pieces i think that's about that's about all the others are pieces that i've i played already already before jean-yves um the dario marianelli pride and prejudice suite is something of a gateway for some of the film's fans to classical music could you share a story of your experiences of putting on a recital and uh, that you include this piece and what happens? Almost every concert I play since that was in 2005, I believe, since whenever that was, uh, whatever concert I play, there's always people coming at the end telling me that they heard about me through Pride and Prejudice, that they love the score. Uh, a lot of them said, this is my first time to a concert. Tonight is the anniversary of this, or this is my new fiancé, and, and they just want something special. And I say, oh, this is the pianist from Pride and Prejudice. And they go to the concert, they buy tickets. They don't even have a clue what I'm going to play. They don't even know what they're coming for. They just come because they just like this music. And I find that so touching. And what happened, those people then become new fans of classical music. It just opened the door for them. And, and same thing if they just see it online or they hear it online streaming, same thing. They look at my name, they Google, they see all the other album. I think we give them a chance that maybe they don't have. And for us in the classical world to be able to touch so many millions of people, I think it's just so incredible. It's one of our only way we need that because classical music, I think, is still way too, too shy compared to the rest of, of the world of music. And a lot of people don't have the experience, don't have the possibility, are not given the possibility when they're children to learn about classical music. They're afraid of it. They think that if you don't know it, you can't appreciate it, or they just have an inhibition for it. So all of that, that kind of clears it out, and we give people a chance. And that's why I think it's very 
it's really important and I wanted to be part of this album and in fact it's actually starting the album so I think that's that's a good good thing yes it's almost as if you're saying to these folks come on in you're welcome exactly this is the music you know now let me show you some other music <laughs> right right you know just sharing with you a little bit as a listener listening from the start the pride and yes. prejudice suite it comes to an end And then all of a sudden, I'm hit with the Cooperan, the TikTok shock. <laughs> It is kind of a shock in a way. <laughs> um, because, you know, you're sort of lulled into this romantic music inspired by Jane Austen. And all of a sudden, there's this dazzling Cooperan piece. <laughs> But, you know, you've got to wake us up at some point, right? There you go. I mean, I think the... the, the The challenge of this album was to, yeah, the order was very difficult. I think we end, we decided to have this. So Marianelli, the property was starting, then the barber was ending. That was, for me, was clear. I was thinking, and then after that, I think the, the kind of chronological, in a way, order was probably the best route to do, which is what we did. But also thinking that we need to say exactly, you put people in a certain trend, they're comfortable, then you have to wake them up, then you have to give them that. And then again, so it has to be, you have to, to play with that and pace it. Otherwise, it doesn't work. It's boring. You know, the list, I'm so glad that you went with the consolation number three, the consolation number three. It deserves to be heard more. Uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, I, I love that consolation. I think, you know, and as people might not know, but this number is three because there's six of them all together. And it's a beautiful little uh, suite of the six consolations. They're short, but this is obviously the most beautiful, the most uh, popular, the grandest in a way. But they are really, really beautiful. And this really is, this is really one of my signature pieces. This together with the Brahms Intermezzo also. It's a piece that I've played hundreds of times as an encore, whether after recital or with an orchestra. Or they're really part of my my life and my vocabulary and my language uh, and I really wanted now I said earlier that pieces had to be new pieces and the Liebestraum I actually have recorded which is one of the problems it's like a lot of pieces that I would have put in that album as well that I love were already recorded so I could not record them again that was our deal so I had to find so it was difficult because like even Chopin I've recorded so much Chopin and Liszt also so I had to find pieces so thank God There were still those that I had not touched yet in the recording world. I was going to ask you, out of all the Chopin, how did you choose the waltz in E minor? <laughs> well, there's quite a few reasons. First of all, as I said, a lot of them I've recorded in my Chopin album, at least all the ones that I like the most and that I play the most. Uh, and also this one, besides not having recorded it, this one has a very special meaning to, to me because it's probably the first piece that I heard the sound of a piano at home because my mother was playing it and my sister were playing was playing it too. And I just remember growing up with that little piece and then it was one of the first pieces that I played as well because it was not too difficult. It was good for, for a child. Uh, and it's a piece that Chopin actually wrote for his own mother when he was 11 years old, if I recall. Uh, so so that, was, that was a kind of a very affectionate piece for me and I said well that's a great way to put at least something of Chopin there it is something I've not recorded that means a lot to me I'm speaking to Jean-Yves Thibaudet about his new recording, Carte Blanche. 
this is just such a wonderful album. You know, I was thinking about, you said you were able to take your time, but there's a danger in uh, self-indulgence. You could oh, yes. go down that route. Oh, yes. CDs are 75 to 80 minutes long, and you could really go down a rabbit hole, but you didn't. <laughs> well, we, we tried to make it, you know, concise and to, to something that makes sense also, something that's organic. Uh, it was we had all the time to play with it which is great so that's why we were not pushed by anything um, I had all the time and all, I recorded in May which is not so long ago and uh, I had all the time to prepare it and we did it with, with we tried to really think about it carefully because it's important to put it's like a it's like a recital I think it's very it's a real gift to make a recital program. Sometimes you see people that make recital that don't make any sense. They just put things together and you're like, what is this? Um, I think a recital is something you have to think about and it has to make sense. And uh, I think it's like a meal. If you were just throwing like, you know, three desserts and it's things in the middle and it doesn't work. You have to pace it and it has to make sense musically. And I think it's very important. An album is the same. Even this album that has such an amazing variety and different possibilities, it still had somehow to become a whole and, and make a sense as a, as a CD. Otherwise, it would be messy. Yes, absolutely. You have to have your main courses, and then you have to have your yes. palate cleansers, too. There you go. <laughs> yes. Just a word or two more about the pieces you chose. I haven't listened to it in a long time, but the Enrique Granados that you chose from Goyescas, oh, uh, The Maiden yes. and the Nightingale, as it's translated, uh, Spanish composer. Yes. But I hadn't thought about how French it sounds. Yes. Well, it is, it is very close. You know, there's only a little border between France and Spain. It's very close. And if you think of Ravel, Ravel, some people, I think Defalia once was asked who was the greatest Spanish composer, which was a really nasty question. And he said Maurice Ravel. And he said he wrote better Spanish music than any Spanish composer. And it's true, so that, that there's a real inspiration and it's very close. So Granados, you're right, and this piece in particular is very, at the same time, impressionistic, and at the same time also, there's some harmony that almost jazzy to me as well. I mean, it's almost, it's very, or it could be like in a soundtrack, or it could be, it's a very modern piece. It's absolutely incredible. And, and that dialogue between that lush piano with a huge, the bass and the huge chord and all of that, and then the bird at the end, the bird that just, that nightingale that just sings, the little trills and the, it's just so remarkable and so fascinating. And this piece, since we speak about it, this piece I played as a tribute to Alicia de la Rocha, who was one of my heroes, fantastic um, Spanish pianist, and I got to know her, to hear her many, many times, and to me, she owns the Spanish repertoire. I'm almost ashamed of playing that because it's, I only do it, you know, as long as she was alive, I've never played Spanish music. I was asked so many times to play Albinis, Granados, De Falla, and I always would tell presenter, I'm sorry, but Miss, Mrs. De La Rocha is around, and you should ask her because nobody plays it like her, and as long as she's there, I just didn't want to even touch it. I thought I could not give it justice or whatever. So now that she's not, not gone, you're not there anymore, I decided, okay, it's okay, you can do it now. But I still do it as a tribute to her and thinking of her because she was such a remarkable pianist and interpret of, of this repertoire. Oh, yes. We, we still play lots of Alicia de la Rocha. Oh, good for you. We play lots of your recordings. Uh, but <laughs> before you. I knew the full story <laughs> that you had to record all new material, I thought... Well, there's a glaring omission. There's no Eric Satie. Ah, there you go. Well, 
but you recorded all of the sati, five discs. <laughs> five CDs, yeah. Now it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, there you go. One more, and then I'll let you go. Uh, you've got to tell the story of the Morton Gould Boogie Woogie Etude, because that is oh, such yes. a fantastic piece. It is an insane piece, right? So now, picture, I don't know if you know what he looked like. Do you know Shuashakaski? If you knew, so he was like rather a short, a short man. He had hair everywhere, but not on his head. He was completely bald. And he was kind of jumping around when he was walking. And concert goodbye is that you come from the app, you know, from upstairs, you go down the stairs. And they were like going out, boom, 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 going down all the way. He was in his 80s, mind you. It was amazing. Great form. And he played a recital and great recital. The audience went crazy, crazy. And then he played one, two, three, four, encore. I don't know how many, whatever. And suddenly he runs down again. He sits at the piano and he starts attacking the piano with his boogie woogie pa, 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 pa. and everybody in the audience just completely lost it it was and he played that piece and we were just we jumped on our feet at the end and i had dinner with him after and i said sure what is that piece he said oh it's morton gould boogie woogie at you i said i want that i want to play that piece and that's like i don't know 20 years ago and i never got i have the score but I never got to learn it or have time or whatever and then for this album, I said, this is my, I have time now. I'm going to learn the boogie woogie and I'm going to put in that album. And I'm also I'm going to play it now as an encore myself because I think it's a hair rising piece. I mean, it's phenomenal. It's difficult, but it's phenomenal, extremely exciting. And so that's that's a little uh, wink at uh, I would say at Mr. Cherkasky together with his own piece. He was he composed when he was 14 years old the Prelude Pathétique that is in the album. He wrote it for his dear teacher at Curtis Institute, and I think it's a beautiful piece, full of passion, so romantic. A little boy, 14 years old. I mean, it's it's very kind of Rachmaninoff, kind of, I mean that that era, but it's a remarkable piece, and I played often as an encore as well. It's such a wonderful array of works on your CD. It's so personal. As I said, there's got to be a story behind every piece. Um, and, and you know, you really kind of let us into your life, your thinking and your feelings by choosing these pieces, Jean-Yves. It's really a wonderful gift. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, you know, I always say that I love, I love almost, uh, it gives me almost more pleasure to give to people than to receive gifts. I mean, I love to receive gifts, everybody does. But there's a certain, when you give something to, to a person, it's just so rewarding. It just gives you so much back. And that's what I feel with this album. I feel like I'm just giving, and it makes me so happy because it's all pieces that I adore, and I hope a lot of them people didn't know, and now will know, and they will fall in love with them as well. And we look forward to, we're going to start playing these because it was just released a while ago. So again, I hope you had a great yes. birthday on your birthday. And now this is just extending your birthday celebrations with this new release called Carte Blanche. Exactly. Well, thank you very much, John. It was nice to be on your show. <laughs> <laughs> 